Welcome to the Everyday Conversion Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Sievercrop, and I am just like you. I'm busy with work, family, kids, church, and a million other responsibilities. And honestly, some days I miss my personal scripture study and prayers. And some days we as a family miss our scripture study and prayer. But I'm trying. So if you're not perfect in living the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, but you're trying, well, get along great, and this is the place for you. Five days a week, I'll share a brief episode, often based on the Come Follow Me curriculum for that week, that I'm using to have daily conversations with my kids, whether we're on our way to school or on our way home or if it's real quick before dinner. And you're welcome to use them to do the same with your family or your personal study. Just know that the views and opinions I share are mine alone and do not represent the official doctrine and viewpoint of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now let's jump right in with today's episode. All right, welcome back to the Everyday Conversion Podcast. And I have to be honest with you, I had some serious consideration about making this to be a three-day-a-week podcast instead of five because I feel bad every time I miss a day. But I got to be honest with you, I don't feel bad for spending time with my family uh, when the opportunity presents itself. So I apologize for not having... Um, episodes on Friday and Monday. Um, but we got one today, so we'll just go with that. And the other thing I'm thinking of, I was talking to a friend of mine and I really enjoy the, the podcast episodes when I'm, when I'm looking at a story, when I'm not just talking about doctrine, but I'm, I'm using a story to teach a principle. So, um, I'm going to probably start doing that a little bit more, just going through and, and telling the story um, and then finding the principles from that story, because that's what I enjoy. And I, I, I enjoy having that background. And for me, it helps me to remember the story better. And it helps me to um, internalize uh, the story. So before we get into today, I just want to share with you um, something that we talked about in uh, Gospel Doctrine yesterday. And I don't even have this on my notes. I just thought of it all of a sudden. And I was like, oh, I want to share that. I had, we were talking about Peter and Cornelius, which was an episode we talked about last week on the podcast. In episode, hold on, episode 94, uh, the, the very last episode. And when we were talking about in gospel doctrine, I had the thought, and this was something I realized when I got called uh, to be, well, when I got called to be a missionary, but then especially when I was called to be bishop. And that thought was that everybody thinks that the leaders, whether it's a bishop or an elders corn president or a stake president or the, you know, the 70s or the 12 or the prophet, I think sometimes people think that they have all the answers and they know what's going on and they just, it just gets downloaded to their brain and then they do it. And I was really uncomfortable with the fact that many people um, in my ward, when I got called as bishop, started talking about me like I was this amazing person because I didn't feel any different. I did. I mean, I felt the spirit and I I had the mantle for sure and and certainly recognized that at times, but I didn't fundamentally feel different. I didn't all of a sudden have all the answers. I didn't all of a sudden know what I was supposed to do. I was going one day at a time trying to figure it out. And as we were talking about Peter and Cornelius, I realized that no doubt that's how Peter felt. That he, you know, as you read through that story, he didn't know what that vision meant at first. 
And then after the vision, he didn't know why these guys had come to take him back to Cornelius. And when he got to Cornelius, he didn't know why he was supposed to be there. And when he started bearing testimony and testifying of Jesus Christ, he didn't know what the end result would be. And so I think it's important for us to realize that, that uh, we're all just trying to figure it out. Like, revelation doesn't just normally come as a download and you just know the beginning from the end and what you're supposed to do. It's taking one step and then getting a little more information, getting a little bit of revelation or inspiration, taking the next step and then the next step and the next step. And I thought that was interesting. And so I wanted to share that with you. That's something that, that really occurred to me that, you know, and, and I really got that from Peter. And I don't know that I would have thought that five years ago. Uh, but now after being in the, 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 uh, the position of being a bishop and everybody looking at me for answers and not having answers and having the pray form and having to rely on the, the wisdom and the counsel and the advice and the, the inspiration of those around me, um, I realize that that's the way the church works. That's the way our lives work. That's the way everything works. Being a parent, being a home teacher, being a minister, a ministering brother or sister. That's how it works. It's getting a little bit of revelation at the time, having faith to, to act on that bit of information, and then getting the next bit and the next bit and the next bit. So with that in mind, or not with that in mind. I mean, what we're talking about today doesn't really have to do with that necessarily. I mean, I could tie it in if I really wanted to, but not really. I want to talk about Paul and Silas in Acts 16. And there's some cool stories here. And, and this is one of the things I love about the New Testament, especially the stories of, uh, of Paul, because there's some really, really cool stories and things that happen to Paul. And the first is the fact that, you know, they go uh, to Macedonia um, and then they go to Philippi, and then let's see, where were they? Um, Thyatira, I think. And while they're there, they baptize somebody, uh, a woman who's a seller of purple. Um, and I'm assuming they mean purple goods, like clothing, not just like she sold a color of the rainbow, <laughs> which would be kind of weird. Uh, and they stay with her. She asks them to stay in her home uh, and to, you know, to lodge there. And so they do. And it says that they had this lady who was possessed with the spirit, with a spirit of divination. Um, and it says that she brought her masters a lot of money, you know, by, by, uh, you know, this, this spirit that she had. And it says that they followed him. They followed, this lady followed Paul and, and the people with him. And the entire time saying, these men are servants of the most high God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And it says that she did it for many days. And I think it's funny because, you know, I'm just imagining them like walking from house to house with this lady behind them, screaming this at the top of her lungs, thinking, oh my goodness, is she going to go away? Like she's got to, she has to stop, right? Like she's, she's not still following us, is she? Yep. Yep. She's still following us. Ah, geez. She's still there. Many days, like several days. And I love this was in verse 18. It says, Paul being grieved, turn and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. So she has this spirit. And we saw this with Christ too, where even though people, you know, even though, you know, spirits or, or demons were testifying of Christ, he commanded them to stop. And it's the same with Paul here. And I know it's probably because they didn't want to be associated with magic or soothsaying or you know divinations or anything like they didn't want to be associated with that um so and probably paul because we know paul uh was a little fiery at times he probably just got annoyed with it and said okay that's enough like 
no more chill but then it's interesting because because he casts out this spirit her masters are mad because they made a lot of money off this lady like of her i mean i don't know if it was like kind of a you know if it was like a fortune teller kind of stuff or what you know i don't understand i don't know exactly what uh soothing entails 16a it says sorcery look up sorcery so i mean who knows exactly what she was doing but they were mad because they weren't able to make money anymore off her uh, but how awesome for her that she doesn't have to be, you know, under the employ of these people. And probably, I don't know that it was slavery, but it was probably fairly close if she had masters. And, you know, they probably, you know, kept her pretty, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Under their thumb. That's not the word I'm looking for, but um, oppressed. Maybe that's the word. That's kind of the word. I don't know if that's exactly the one I'm thinking of, but close. And so they get mad and they basically, they run to the marketplace and the rulers and they say these guys are really bad they're causing trouble uh they're teaching customs and things that we shouldn't do as romans and it says that the multitude got mad and just took their word for it, which is interesting that they just took their word for it but if they were making money off susing and sorcery they were probably fairly manipulative so they were probably pretty good with words and able to convince them but it says that they they attacked paul and silas uh, you know, they rent their clothes and they commanded them to beat them. And so it says that they laid many stripes upon them and then they threw them in the jail and they told the jailer, you need the key, you need to take care of them, you know, keep them in jail. Don't let them go anywhere. Right. And so they do. And this jailer, uh, who's in charge of them, throws them into the inner prison, makes their feet fast with st- in the stocks. So, you know, I mean, they're chained up, they're not going anywhere. And it says that Paul and Silas prayed, and they sang praises and sang hymns, and all the prisoners heard them. And then there was an earthquake. And it says the foundations of the prison were shaken, and all the doors opened. So somehow it shook all the doors open of this prison. And it's funny, this is such a funny story, because it says then the keeper of the prison, the jailer, had been asleep. So, well, you know, he fell asleep on the job, literally. And then when he saw that all the jail, the doors were open, he's like, oh no, like my only job, like literally my, if there's a job description for me, the only thing listed is don't let the prisoners escape. And I did. And so it says he drew his sword and he was going to kill himself. He was like, I'm done. Like, you know, you can only imagine that he's doing this because, because he assumed that would have been the case had his bosses found out what happened. So he's getting ready to kill himself. And it says that Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm for we are all here. So he's like, hey, 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 whoa, 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 don't kill yourself. We're still here. We didn't go anywhere. Can you imagine how excited you would be as that jailer? It's like, oh, thank goodness. I mean, when I think of a jailer, I think of like, uh, you know, like the jailers in like Robin Hood Men in Tights, like Mel Brooks movies, you know, and I don't know why, but it's like that bumbling, you know, kind of doesn't really have much going for him kind of guy. And I'm sorry to this jailer because I'm sure that's probably not the case, but that's what I think of. So he's so excited and he goes in and his first question is, what must I do to be saved? I don't know what led to that. I mean, granted, they'd been singing and praying and stuff um, and maybe he was predisposed already. But as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, you know, adversity and tragedy softens people's hearts. You know, this guy was at the point where he believed that the best option for him was to kill himself. 
because of a mistake that he thought he had made or something that had happened. And that made me think of, you know, the story with Alma when he um, visits the people in, in Alma 32. You know, the, the people that weren't allowed in the synagogues. And in 32.12 where he says, uh, it's because you're cast out that you're despised of your brethren because of your seeding poverty, that you're brought to a lowliness of heart, for ye are necessarily brought to be humble. And now because ye are compelled to be humble, blessed are ye. For a man sometimes, if he is compelled to be humble, seeketh repentance. And now surely whosoever repenteth shall find mercy. And so, you know, this guard, because of these... I guess, trials or adversities had been humbled to the point where he comes to Paul, these prisoners, and says, how, how, what do I do? How, how am I, how do I get saved? And Paul just says, hey, believe on Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You know, a very Paul statement. Um, and it says, and they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were, that were in his house. Well, it says before that, I think it's, point, I guess I should point this out. It says he uh, he went to Paul and Silas and he brought them out. And now that it says, you know, he's talking about his family being saved. And he says, uh, you know, they spake to all that were in his house. So obviously he took him out of the prison and brought him to his house. I mean, maybe that's partly because the doors wouldn't close and he didn't know how he was going to keep them there. But either way, they're out of prison. And it says... He took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he and all his straight away, straightway. It says, And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. So he does what he's told, and they get baptized, and he cleans them up. He cleans up their wounds. He invites them to his home. He feeds them with his family. And then I think it's funny. It says, The next day, uh, the sergeants, you know, the magistrates send the sergeants and say, let these guys go. So I don't know if they heard about the earthquake or what, but they're like, look, just get rid of them. Which makes me laugh because they're already free. <laughs> they're not even in prison at this point because this jailer had taken them out of prison, cleaned them up, fed them, everything else. But it says, let them go. And it's funny because the jailer's like, hey, this is really cool. You guys can go. Like, go ahead. Just, just leave. Like, you're free to go. And Paul being Paul, this is a very, to me, a very Paul thing to do, uh, basically says, whoa, hold on. Says, they openly condemned us, they beat us, and we're Roman citizens. They threw us in the prison, and we're Roman citizens, and now they just want to, like, sneak us out the back door? Uh-uh. Not happening. I'm not doing it. And so, <laughs> I almost, like... I can see Paul, like, I'm trying to think which movie it is. Um, it almost makes me think of, I don't know if, if you've seen or not, but my family and I like watching the uh, Andy Griffith show. And there's this one character. His name's Otis. And he just invites himself into the jail and puts himself in jail when he's drunk. And there's times where he'll just like walk in and he'll shut the door. And he's like, I'm not going out. Like, I'm not doing it. No, I'm staying in here. And that's what makes me think of Paul just like walking back into his prison cell, grabbing the door, shutting it and saying, no, no, we're not leaving. Like, you're not hush you're not rushing us out the back door. 
Um, and then it says when they found out about it, they got scared because they didn't know they were Roman citizens. It's like, well, maybe you should kind of pay attention to who you're beating, but that's neither here nor there. But it's interesting that Paul uses his Roman citizenship to his benefit, you know, to, to bring attention to what had happened to him and Silas and probably to bring attention to what had happened with this jailer. You know, and I think it's important to point out that that adversity put Paul and Silas in the, the position to be able to preach the gospel and to convert and baptize this jailer and his family. Had they not been in prison, they probably never would have had that opportunity. That man and his family would not have had the opportunity to receive the gospel. And I wonder how many times we're put in positions of adversity where we have challenges and we wonder why it happened. And maybe it's because we're supposed to, to be a light to someone else. I mean, how many times do you hear of stories of somebody being sick um, in, in, uh, you know, in the hospital or somebody having an accident or something or even tragically somebody passing away? And the amazing good that happens from it, you know, the people that see the goodness of those around them, you know, the people that, that see the way a family reacts because of those things. And because of that, they choose to learn more about the gospel. How many times are those adversities an opportunity to share the gospel? Not that anybody wants them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going around praying to be in the hospital or, or anything like that, but it's the old, you know, the age-old saying, the Lord works in mysterious ways. He's going to find good in each thing. And Paul and Silas being beaten and thrown in prison facilitated a man and his family accepting the gospel, receiving eternal life if they remained faithful, if they endured to the end, receiving eternal life. And I have no doubt, knowing what Paul did throughout his life, that he looked at it as a small price to pay to spend a day or two or a few in prison if it meant that somebody could receive and accept the gospel. So I have a couple questions for you today. Question number one, how can God use adversity to prepare people to hear the gospel? Just like the jailer in this story, how can adversity be used to prepare people to be ready to receive the gospel? And number two, you know, we read about how Paul used his Roman citizenship to his benefit. How can we, like Paul, identify the gifts and blessings that make us uniquely qualified to share the gospel? You can get the link to all the resources mentioned in today's episode at everydayconversion.com forward slash zero nine five. All right, that's it for today. Now, I know, I know you want to hang out with me longer, but we both have a ton of things to do today, including living the gospel and trying to be like Jesus. Cue primary children singing. I'm trying to be like Jesus. But hey, if you want to get the links to everything we talked about today, you can find it on the episodes page of everydayconversion.com. You can also do cool stuff like subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast listening platform, sign up for email notifications of new episodes, and connect with us on social media there. It's kind of like a virtual church library without the militant librarians or a piece of paper to sign out your three tiny pieces of chalk for your lesson. Also, just remember, I do my best to make sure my opinions are in line with official church doctrine, but they are just that. They're my opinions. For official doctrine and viewpoints, I recommend you go to churchofjesuschrist.org or comeuntochrist.org.